Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Our journey has brought us to the sickness and the death of Lazarus. Christ speaks of him to the holy apostles enigmatically. Lazarus is sick, Lazarus is sleeping, and so on and so forth. And the holy apostles misunderstand what the actual reality is with which they will have to be dealing. They don't know that he spoke of the sleep of death until Christ says Lazarus is dead. Petheneo Lazarus. We know that Christ is speaking, yes, about Lazarus, this man who had sisters, who had an address, who lived in a house in a town called Bethany, and who was a friend of the Savior, and whose relics, apparently from the sternum, we have right here on the analogion in front of us. But he was also speaking about you, and me, and all mankind. Here is God who has created universes past our wildest speculation, about which we do not yet know anything. Here is God who has created man in his own image and likeness, standing before the phenomenon of human death. Death which does not ever occur in the abstract, but which is always the death of this one, of that one. Someone who was loved, someone who was hated, someone to whom the world was indifferent, but someone. And here is his friend. And God's friendship for Lazarus is not without its significance for you and me. And they come, and the first level of their encounter with Lazarus is in fact with those who loved him, and because of their love for him, they misunderstand Christ. Christ's absence from their predicament wins their disapproval. Lord, if thou hadst been here, our brother had not died. those who are blessed to go on the Holy Land pilgrimage have the opportunity of visiting Bethany, where there is a great compound built by the Russians in the 19th century, badly damaged in 1917 by the Turkish army, but rebuilt by Metropolitan Anastasi. And in the courtyard is a very large boulder, and on this boulder sat our Savior, speaking with Martha. Now, listen to their conversation. He says that Lazarus, 
will rise again. And she, speaking of what she knows doctrinally, through dogma, through teaching, speaking of what she knows as a truth which she has learned in the form of words, says, yes, I know my brother will rise at the end, at the general resurrection. That knowledge is good knowledge. We honor it, even as we understand why she continues to weep. Yes, in the end we all rise, but now we have lost him whom we loved. Him whose voice was cherished by us, whose presence in the room where we were blessed us. And so we weep for our loss, knowing that in the end there will be a general resurrection. And now Christ gives to her that which is singular in Christianity. He says, Ego inio inastasis. I am the resurrection. He renders it not abstract, not logical, not words, not vogmata, teachings, but it is himself. He is the resurrection. Resurrection is not something which he gives to us. As I hand to you my staff, a piece of paper, a new book. Resurrection is not a thing given. It is a person with whom we must be in union if we are to share the life that the Father hath in himself, which he hath given unto the Son to have in himself. In union, in communion with that one, that person, we have it all. We get everything. It's all ours. It is not knowing something. It is being in union with someone. Hence the epistle that is linked to today's gospel speaks of marriage. Paul says marriage is honorable. Because there we come the closest in human terms to that which is our eternal vocation to be wedded in union with our Savior. And so this extraordinary conversation which occurred in the presence of a rock which still stands there goes on and you know the rest of the story. Christ comes before the tomb, the grave. Tombs and graves were not part of the intended creation. Death was not part of paradise. And Christ, our Savior, stands before the tomb that is filled with the death, the stench of his friend. And we have the shortest sentence in Scripture. Edda krie o Jesus. 
Jesus wept. God beholds our mortality, all that within us which is dead, all that we will become as death, and God weeps. What kind of God do we have? asks the person who does not know God, the heretic, the unbeliever, the whomever. And we say, a God who weeps for us because we die. We know how death provokes us, consciously and subconsciously. When we are sober and thinking soberly of such things, we are sickened. We work so hard, we build, we try, we make efforts, and will it all end in the grave as we resolve back into the earth from which we were taken? Such futility. But in today's event of the raising of Lazarus, the token of the general resurrection, as the hymns of the church say, in this we are absolutely convicted that our lives are anything but futile. Because the true aim and end of our life is not in some rotting grave, but in union with God, who is life. The Father hath life in himself, which he hath given unto the Son to have in himself. It is this life that is communicated to us. And as you know, Christ stands before the grave of Lazarus, the grave of all mankind, and he says, Lazarus, come forth. And he addresses him in the affectionate vocative, not Lazarus, Lazare. Oh, my Lazarus, come forth. A friend calling to a friend. And Lazarus, as if he had been sitting in his living room, hearing a voice outside, gets up and goes out to meet his friend, who is God. He is already wrapped up in all of the bands that the Jews wrap around the cadavers of their dead. And Christ says, release him, loose him. Yes, that's what God does to us. He would take the chains off our arms and our legs. He would unwind death's bindings around us. He would set us free. And as you know, he will eat at a great banquet that the sisters and the family and the friends of Lazarus give, and many Jews will be there, and they will be shocked. And we know how the raising of Lazarus leads to all of Holy Week and the crucifixion of our Savior, because nothing has terrorized the Jewish leadership more than this.
Dostoevsky in The Brothers Karamazov, in the chapter called The Grand Inquisitor, understands this day better than anyone understands it. The Grand Inquisitor in 16th century Spain is all for rules and regulation. He's for words. He's for constitutions written on paper. And he encounters Christ, the one who is life, who is salvation. Not the giver of those things, but he who is those things. The Grand Inquisitor cannot fathom that what is right is not to be obedient to words on paper, but to be in union with Christ our God. He talks about and talks and talks and talks about and his words are gibberish. Christ remains absolutely silent in the presence of the Grand Inquisitor's waterfall of words. He has nothing to say to that. And then at the end, when at last the Inquisitor has run out of his precious words, Christ stands, kisses the man, and leaves. That a man writing in Russia in the 19th century could be so unfathomably right, so arrested by this gospel, and could so perfectly recreate the truth of that gospel in a novel, is nothing less than astonishing, but it is also a gauge of the seriousness and the integrity of the culture of that place and that time, with all its sinfulness, with all its defects, yet it could understand and utter such things. We in our own place and time stand in awe, silenced by that achievement. But it is ours to live out in our own personal lives the great wedding, the great marriage between God and man, spoken of in Paul's epistle this morning, and then given its full and blinding, radiant meaning in the resurrection of Lazarus, the token that comes before the resurrection of our Savior from death itself. Lazarus will die as the bishop of Larnaca in Cyprus, where he will be buried. But Christ will not die again. The difference between the two resurrections is very great and very clear. But when Lazarus dies... Lazarus and his sisters and all them that saw this thing, this great event of a man being pulled up out of his own grave, its stench, its stiffness, its decay, will understand 
that soon there will be a moment when Lazarus will rise once and for all in Christ. Through his intercessions, he who tasted of death for four days, may we soberly walk through the rest of this journey to the Garden of Gethsemane, to the cross on Calvary, and finally to the empty tomb and its astounding news. The news itself is astounding. And the question will be as it always is. Just how will it astound you and me? Amen.